0: This week's Parsha is Parsha's Lechlechot. In Perak Yud Dalid, Pasuk Yud Dalid, the Pasuk says, Avram, ki achiv. Avram heard that his brother, meaning his nephew Light, was taken captive. Now, this is where the Pasuk gets a little tricky and you have to try to understand together with me what the Pasuk exactly is talking about. Vayyarages Hanichov, the simple translation of Vayyarages Hanichov is that he armed his disciples. He had Hanichov, like Elashon of Chinuch Rashi says, Lenar those disciples that he had, he armed, he prepared them in some way. Yelidei basically. these were the people who grew up in his house, Shmeina asar u'shleish three hundred and eighteen. Meaning, the simple shot in the pasuk is that he had three hundred and eighteen members of his household that he trained and that he educated. He was mechanich them, and he took them with him to fight this battle against the great superpowers in order to get back light. That's the simple types of the Pasuk. If you look in Rashi, Rashi completely changes our perception of this Pasuk, al pibshuta mikra. Normally Rashi is the person who gives us the most plain, simple understanding of the Pasuk. But here Rashi, based on Chazal, based on the Gemara one shita on the Gemara and the Aflamid he changes the Pshat. And he says that when it says in the Pasuk, Va'yarak is It's talking not about all of the people of this household, not about 318 people. It's talking specifically there was an army of one. Hanichav, <laughs> Rashi says, is really a singular, not plural. And it, it's talking about Eliezer. Eliezer, Ebed Avram, that was the one-man army that Avram Avinu was able to go and ultimately... Get light out of captivity with. Rashi says it's called Chanichah because he was him to do mitzvahs. Chaneich the word Chinoch comes from Chaneich al pidarkai He trained him according to his own way. And then when the Paslik says that there were 318 men, what does Rashi do with that? If it's just talking about Eliezer, what does Rashi do with the 318? It says in the Pesach, he took 318 men. Rashi has an answer for that also. Rashi says there weren't 318 men, but rather it was really Eliezer. This is from a Gemara also. It's not Rashi's shot, It's the same Gemara in Adarim. Rabbi Senu Amr Eliezer Levadei Hayo. Eliezer went alone to do battle with Abraham. For whom Minion Gematria shall The number three hundred and eighteen, if you take out your calculator, is the Gematria Eliezer. So the Pusik doesn't mention Eliezer by name. Eliezer appears elsewhere in the Torah by name, but in this parashah makes no mention of Eliezer by name. But we're talking in Gematrias. Eliezer is Gematria 318. The Pusik is not talking about Yulide Besa, even though it's a it's a plural. It's not 318 people, even though that's what the Pasuk says. There's one person in this Pasuk that we have to focus on. It's Eliezer. Eliezer was the Chanichei Besai. He was Machanich him to do mitzvahs. He was him to fight. And ultimately, he was the army of 318. He single-handedly was 318 men. A very, very strange rashi you're completely distorting the Pshuta Shalmikra. If you would read the prosok simply, no one in the world would be able to interpret it that way. But for the fact that it is a chazal, there is a sheet in the Gemara, that brings up a telling us what seems to be something very mysterious, that this pasuk is just alluding constantly to Eliezer, one person, 318 people are not really 318 people. That's just an illusion. It's a gematria of Eliezer. End of story. And a lot of the Mepharsham have a big problem with this Rashi. How Rashi completely takes it out of the simple understanding. All of a sudden now we're talking in Gematrius. I mean, everybody loves gematrias. But when was the last time that you found a pasuk that actually calls Moshe by by... Uh, What's Moshe's? Moshe the Gematria is 3.45. Did you ever find a Pasuk in the Torah that say, it doesn't say, you know, Moshe by name, it calls him 3.45. Doesn't, you don't find that. We find that you use Moshe and we say, Moshe's Gematria is 3.45 and that's the same Gematria as something else. But when does the Torah actually speak numerically about an individual? Very, very strange. And that's what we're going to try to figure out this morning. When I was in high school, my father Elvishalem, took me on a trip one summer to Germany, to Würzburg to visit Kivre Obis. My great-great-grandfather was the Würzburger He was buried uh, in a city right next to Würzburg, in a city called Hirschberg. Um, we went to other Kvarim and we went to Dachau and it was a very... Serious and meaningful trip, and afterwards we went to London together, and that was the more enjoyable part of the trip. We stayed in a very nice hotel on a Georgian crescent called the Montcalm Hotel. I don't know if that's still the name, I didn't bother looking it up, but um, it was a very beautiful hotel. I would imagine that it's still there, and it uh, was there probably 200 years before I stayed there. It's probably going to be there another 200 years after I stayed there. Right next to the Montcalm Hotel, was a shul, which was a very beautiful old shul called the Marble Arch Synagogue. And it was a very chashuva old shul with uh, the gaboim all wore top hats and tails and very, very elegant. And everything was done as you'd expect you know, the Brits to do things. Everything was done very, very of there was a very young Rav that was very uh, articulate, very charismatic, and the Shu loved him. And then we went back for Shalashudas, my father and I, and we had a much more intimate encounter with him. He was you know, right across from us, this Rav, and, and he got up to speak by Shalashudas as well, and he said the following "Bar, this was Shabbos, Parsha, Shifton. He got up to speak and he said that in Valajan, there was a Purim spiel, a Purim skit that the boys put on for Purim, as, as is uh, the Minig and many yeshivas from then on. And I don't know who these bachim were. It's not clear. If you look in the svarim, some people say they're regular bachim. Some people say they are maskilim, which, unfortunately, there were some maskilim enlightened people in the Velozhen Yeshiva at one point in its history. I don't know exactly who these bachim were. In any event, this was the skit. They somehow were able on the stage to present themselves as being 100,000 people. So let's say they had, I don't know, 25 guys on stage, and every one of them, you know, represented a few thousand uh, people. And then they reenacted, from Parashat and that's why he spoke about it that Shabbos, the role of the Kayin, who announced before the wars began, before people went to battle, the Kayin would get up and say, ish, who is the man who just got engaged and has not yet got married, he should go back from war and don't, uh, you know, let somebody else fight for you. Don't, you don't go to battle. When they said that, when this Cain said that, so like a third of the stage packed off the stage, like representing a few, you know, 30,000 people, let's say, just ran off the stage. And then he said, and who is the man who built a house or who planted a vineyard and hasn't, has not yet been able to reap the fruits of his vineyard or enjoy the house. And then another third of the stage runs off the stage, goes AWO. And then finally, Who is the man who is afraid? And Chazal say, They were afraid of the, any Avera, even a small Avera that they might have, and that might jeopardize the entire war effort because of their sins. They should go home, and the rest of the stage packed off. They just left, except for four people. Meaning, they star with a stage full of people. They all ran away, except for four people, and they had little placards on them so that we know who they were. One was the Pnei Yeshua, and one was the Grah, and one was the Neidah Behuda and one was the Shagasari. And that was that was the end of the Purim Spiel. Now today that might not be so funny, but apparently then that was quite entertaining. Chaim Brisker, Reb Kaim Salvechik, was a, a Rebbe in Balazhin, and he wasn't there. But afterwards, somebody reported to him the Spiel and all the nuances and you know and how they were all laughing from this chazal and from this, this Parsha and the Taira and how they you know, simulated what was going on and how it looked, and that there were four people that were remaining, these tzaddikim, these ga'inim. And Chaim Brisker said the following. He said, but they left out the real punchline. If they thought that was funny, you know what the punchline is? That those four tzaddikim won the war yeah, you think that they all packed out and they left four people in Nebuchadnezzar. You know, the war was over by default. They surrendered. No. They fought and they won. And I remember, like, when he was saying this, you know, everybody's like, everyone's at the edge of their seats. He was such a powerful speaker. Years later, I understood who this man was. It was Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who later became, you know, the the British uh, chief rabbi, and uh, he became very famous, and he still is. But then he was very young and just uh, maybe new to the rabbinic, and it was just an interesting thing afterwards to hop you know, who he was at the time. This year I saw in the Dasa Kain Mibali Tesis on the that we were that we're learning together today, this whole vart that was played out in Volazhen, on Purim, with Rechaim Brisker's Hayesopha, this wasn't just a, uh, a theoretical play, this wasn't just a skit, this actually happened in reality. It happened in Parad Yodalit Pasuk Yodal, the Pasuk of Ayarak as Listen to the words of the the Kenmi on this Pasuk. Avram. Avram Avinu really had 318 people that were ready to go and do battle. Avram Avinu says to these people before they go up to war, "Lemochama anu yitz and we're going now to fight a battle." From that pasuk in Parsha Shaifdin. Abraham Avinu was reading. He was serving as the Kayin. abram was a Kayin. And he was serving as a Kayin, Meshach Mohammah. He was the one, the general in the war, that said to the people, said to the, these 318 people before they were going to fight this epic battle against the four great superpowers of the world, Mi Aish, Hayyarei Verach Is there anyone amongst you that are afraid to go and fight? Maybe you have some sins. Maybe you're chickening out. Maybe you're cowardly. Is there something that you're, you don't want to go to war for? As soon as the people heard that Avram was giving them sort of a, an invitation to go home, the entire 318 people, they all ran off. They left. They didn't stay for the battle. V'lein Nishar im Avraham kiim Eliezer levade. Only Eliezer stayed. Eliezer did stay, but all the other Yehudim beisrei Chanicheh, Chanichav, all of them ran away. Eliezer remained. Omr le'akadish barchol Avraham. Hashem says to Avraham, He nicho oischa I see everybody abandon you. You're left alone here. I swear, says HaKadosh Baruch that I will give the power of all 318 soldiers all into Eliezer. Eliezer will be able to get all of the power that they had. And if you do the math, Shen Yod Ches three hundred eighteen is the Gematria of Eliezer. The Chaim Masik of the Paragall the Nidarim, and this is what the Gemara Nedarim says. So it's very fascinating that in history this whole play with Reb Chaim Brisker's Mamish happened. It wasn't just a, a Purim spiel. This happened. Avram, Avinu had 318 men. He was the Kayim, Meshua, Mohammed that said, Mi Aisha, Yarib, Rachlevav, and they all packed out, except Eliezer stayed, and they won the war. They were able to retrieve light from captivity, just Avram and light together. They won the war. This is Mamish history in the making over here. That would be a spiel many thousands of years later, but it was not really a spiel. This was reality. This is what happened in the parishion. Amazing. Going back to our pasuk, we can now understand maybe what Rashi is talking about. It started off, the Pshut mikra is, that there were 318 people. There really were. But in the end of the day, the only one of the Hanichei Besai, the Elidei Besai, of all the 318 people, the only one that remained was Eliezer. And when the Apostlech says that the 318 people went with Abram to battle, they were supposed to. But they copped out, they left, they were afraid. And Eliezer then got the Kayach of 318 people. Gematria of Eliezer is 318, as if to say Akadosh is putting all of the Kayach of 318 people into Eliezer, and that's what allowed them to win the war. I wanted to be myself another layer on top of what we just said right now, and I think we're going to be able to understand something very important in terms of chinuch and motivation uh, as a result. The first part of the Pasuk of is Hanichav, which I interpreted as being that he armed his disciples, is in fact a in the Gemara, Nedar, Amadaf, Amad Beis, Ahmed Aleph, what does this word vayyarek mean? By yarek, as simply put, he armed his disciples, or he armed his disciple, as the way Rashi learns it. What does mean? So it's machloek as Rav and Shmuel in the Gemara and the Darin. Rav says shahirikon b'taira. The way some of the Rishonim, like the Rosh, learns it is that he motivated the soldiers, or the soldier. With Tyra. He says, you have learned Tyra, and you have tremendous schar from Tyra. This chusha Tyra is going to remain with you, and you're going to be able to win the war with that. That's by He basically, he was Mizaris them. By is, he basically filled them with confidence, or filled Eliezer with confidence, that your Tyra is going to be able to... Stand in good stead for you when you go to Molchama. This chus ha is going to allow you to be in v'Molchama. You have schar, and the schar will be great. The schar of tar will be great. Shmuel says a different shot. He says, which means that he basically promised them a lot of money. He promised them money. Again, the rush says, he opened up for them his treasure houses, um, that they should go willingly, a mercenary army. He paid them in order to go do battle. I wanted to say that Rav and Shmuel are not really arguing, because both are true. when it comes to Chinuch, as Rashi in this Pesach says, he, Chanichav means chinuch. Chanich l'narapidakar is the pasuk that Rashi brings, the famous pasuk from Mishle. Shlamech teaches us a very important insight when it comes to chinuch. And that is that you can't use cookie-cutter chinuch. Chinuch has to be individually tailored to the Talmud. If a Rebbe thinks that he's going to be able to have a one-size-fits-all approach to chinuch and every Talmud is the same intellect, has the same interest has the same experiences, has the same background, is motivated in the same way, then he should not be in Chinuch because he doesn't know what he's doing. Every Talmud has to be understood and has to have a custom-tailored approach in order to make him be the greatest that he could be. That's Chinuch in the perfect form. Vayarek eschanichav means that Avram Avinu understood this and he understood that people are different some people are motivated with tyra. Just as Chus HaTaira is enough, the fact that you understand how important it is to learn, how important it is to be a Tamah chacham, how important it is to do mitzvahs, how important it is to the Rabbin to the world, whatever it is, altruistically, that's enough for some people to be able to go to the base Medosh, sit and learn do, go to the hospital, do good, do mitzvahs, go to davening every morning. They understand they don't need any, any, any prizes. They don't need any carrot more than the fact that there's a schus ha involved, that if you do something good, you will be rewarded handsomely. In Shamayim, in this world, things will be good for you. That's, for many people, enough motivation to get them going. But that's not for everybody. You have to know the Talmud. Very often, many, many people, it's not enough. Unless I have some real tangible benefit for doing something, it's very hard for me to be motivated to do it. Let's take this yeshiva for example. It's a great thing. We have uh, all types of incentive programs. If you get up before davening, you get a Safra gift card. You, you learn after davening a Safra gift card. You learn uh, Yechazer, you take Bechines some Bekiah, Safra gift card. You learn Matzai Shabbos, pizza on a Safra gift card. A safra must be doing amazing, by the way. But um, why do they do this? You know, they do this in the Mir Yeshiva also, in Yerushalayim. Nasan C. Finkel was very into this. Maybe that's where Rabbi Shemlevitz gets it from think was very, he spends, he used to spend literally probably millions of dollars a year on motivating, you learn 12 hours a day, you get money. You, you learn asmanim. you get money. You do this, you get money. Constantly, you do it. he you come to with a good sh'tikotairah. Motivating people with money. There's nothing wrong with that. That's chinuch. Chinuch means I need it. I, 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 you know I, I, I guess I would do it without it. But it really is a nice motivator knowing that I'm getting something in the matin I'm getting real, tangible. That's chinuch. That's chinuch. remember my first chinuch job. Before I came here, I was a 12th grade rabbi in a, in a very good yeshiva in Brooklyn. And the principal, the manal of the Yeshiva, who was an old man then. This is going back 17 years ago. He was nifter this year. He was a very famous legendary Makhanech. He, uh, he lived before the war. He was very close to Matzol Pagramansky during the war. The, the big guyin from Tells. And he was a wonderful person. He hired me. Um, and one day he calls me into his office, and he says, "Rabbi Bamberger, um, the seventh grade Rebbe in the, in the elementary school, he has he needed and he had an eye surgery, he had to take off for a week. Would you mind substituting for that shear as well? So I was able to fit it into the schedule, but it like it wasn't past for me. Like I was already a 12th grade Rebbe, like to go down and do a seventh grade was not uh, not so interesting. But he asked me a personal favor, so I said, okay. He says, but it's a very difficult class. So you're probably going to be, you know, the way Bachrim in general deal with Rabbiim, but a substitute Rabbi, forget it. I remember when I was a kid, you know, substitute Rabbiim were like, you know, like every time, I remember Eschatayanim Aschayim, one substitute Rabbi, every time he turned around, like we would throw like garbage cans across the room, and think, people would scream, it was like a zoo. He says, "You're probably not going to be able to control the class. Maybe make some carbonists, you know, kick some kids out of class, send them to the principal, and whatever. But don't. We don't expect much from you. But um, try your best. Do whatever you can, and good luck to you." So, all right. So I took it as a challenge, and um, the first mistake I made was there was like a. As soon as you smile. As soon as they see that you're human, that you have a pulse, they're they for, you lose the class. They right away, like, jump all over you. They become, like, you know, they smell blood and they go for the kill. As soon as they think they... You have to come in, like, really like a stormtrooper. Like, coming in, like, uh you know, no, no, no shtick, no just sit down. Anyway, so I said, listen, guys, I'm here for a week and then I'm gone. Let's make a deal. I will be reading the Gemara. I think they were learning Makas. Be reading the Gemara. It's just a week. I'm going to be reading Gemara Rashi in some Taisasin. And occasionally I'm going to be missing, I'm going to skip a word. You know, instead of saying Tan I'll say just Hanu. Skip the word Rabbanon and go weiter. If anyone catches the words that I skip and they raise their hand nice and they say, Rabbi, I think you just skip Rabbanon. Five dollars for you. Five dollars back in those days was a lot of money. You know, there was a horse and buggy waiting for me outside, and uh, I brought money from the bank. And five dollars—a lot of money. So these boys, who were like known as the terrorists of the yeshiva, and no rabbi was ever able to uh, to get them. They were sitting mamish like stiplers. I had twenty-seven stiplers in my class. They were sitting like this, mamish, every single word was like, like gold. And I remember this manal like passed by, he was like expecting like, you know, he was going like this, he was expecting like, you know, flack to be flying out of the room. And he was like, he passed by, he like, couldn't believe it, it looked like Panovich in my room. I didn't skip that many words, by the way. But, uh, but I did keep them under control. And just as a parenthetically, at the end of the week... He was so impressed with me, he says, I want you to, he wanted me to be like principal of the whole school. I'm not joking. <laughs> so, you know, next year, you know, we're looking for a new Manal. I had no experience. I was like, Mom is like a 25-year-old, no, I had nothing. He says, you, you control that class so well, we want to make you principal of the whole school. He was like the Manal of the whole institution. He wanted to make me principal of the whole institution. I almost remember Siegel. He says, I have to be honest with you. I used to live right next door to the yeshiva. I said, every day after I left this seventh grade classroom, I came home and I had a big glass of schnapps because my nerves were so tattered and torn from teaching elementary school. I don't think I could do this for the whole elementary. I can't do it. He says, everybody, Bamberger, that was your mistake. He said, you should have had the schnapps before you went into the classroom. (laughs) But anyway, that's the way it was. That's the way it is. Chinuch is not, you can't just expect guys to naturally be sitting and learning and steiging. You need incentives. You need to motivate people. It's not a, machlek, it's a it depends. Some people, and batayra, chinuch could work by incentivizing them with tyra. Tyra is enough for me. I sit and learn. We know those people in the Beis Medrash. They never stop. They just, you wind them up at the beginning of the Zman and they go like the ever-ready ever bunnies, whatever that guy is, and, you know, they just go through the whole Zman. They don't need incentives. They just like learning. They have a geshmack out of learning. They love the chevra and they love ruchnias and they love Taira, Mitzvah schar. Uh, You know, they're just perfect. Shairikim and Taira. But many people, that's not enough. Many people, as Shmuel says in the Gemara, you've got to give them gold. You want to motivate people, you've got to give them gold. That's Chinuch also. Chinuch needs you to be creative and to think about what's the best incentive that I could get this Bacher to work. Depends who the Bacher is. It depends on the situation. Avraham Avinu understood Chinuch better than anybody. He was the greatest mechanic. Of history, he understood that no people are two people are alike, and there's no need to make everybody alike. And he understood that some of his soldiers might be needing Torah as their incentive, that will get them to go fight for him a battle, do the mitzvah of pigeon shvuyim, getting getting light back home. Justice as is going to be good for you, that's enough. Other people needed to hear more about the money incentive. Let's hear some uh, about the Zav. What, what's in it for us? Which is fine. That's Chinuch. That's Now, Eliezer. Which was he? Eliezer was a big tzaddik. I'm sure this chesatayr was very, very vital to him. But I found a very interesting chazal which seems to say that Eliezer was also a capitalist, if I may use that expression. He liked opportunity when it presented itself, and he liked hopping a lot of a lot of zav. He wasn't mistapik bemura when it came to. When it came to Gashmias, he wanted a lot. Avram Avinu knew this about him. This is a Gemara that's Nageya this Parsha. It's a Gemara in Sanhedrin, that Kuftes. Very cute Gemara, if you can say the Gemara is cute. The Gemara says like this speaking about Sadaim and how bizarre the justice system of Sadaim was and how how strange and and dysfunctional it was. Listen to three stories that Eliezer encountered in Sadaim. You see the brilliance of Eliezer. You see the corruption of Sadaim. And the third story is really what I want to focus on, but I want to say all of them because they're very Gishmaka stories. The first story is that Eliezer came into Sadaim to visit, and we know that people that were strangers in Sudayim, you know, did not get life insurance policies. Their days were numbered. They did not like strangers in Sudayim. So, what happened was, somebody came over to Eliezer and punched him in the nose, and made Eliezer have a nosebleed. So they went to court... They took him to a They went to court. Eliezer versus this other guy. Eliezer was expecting a nice, uh, a nice payout. And the judge heard the case. This judge was from Sadaim, aka Chelm, and he said, "Okay, Eliezer, you owe a hundred dollars the person that punched you in the nose." He says. I think you're making a mistake. I was the guy that got punched in the nose. Why do I owe him $100? He should owe me $100. No? Because bloodletting, you know, there's, the Gemara speaks about, about being when you let out blood, that's very healthy. And so he basically did you a favor. He punched you in the nose. He made you bleed. So he, he provided you a service. You owe him $100. That was the warp justice system of Sadaim. You know what Eliezer did? Eliezer went. He says, no problem. The judge thought he was taking out $100 from his wallet. He was really taking his fist out of his pocket. And he punched the judge in the nose. <laughs> and the judge started bleeding. He says, what, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm bloodletting. He says, now you owe me $100. I owe him $100. Forget about me. You pay him directly $100. Like a... You know, like a... Uh, Shibuta type of situation. And um, that was the first story of Sadaim. The second story of Sadaim was that in Sadaim, they had a very interesting custom. If you decided to be a guest in Sadaim, they had what was called the Sadaim bed, which sounds scary and it was scary. See, in Sadaim, they liked everybody the same exact height. There can't be some guy that's six foot three and another guy that's, uh, that's four foot 11. Everybody had to be the same uniform height, let's call it five nine. And so they would put you down in a bed. If you want to stay in the city of this is what you gotta do. They put you in a bed. If you were over five nine, no problem. They take out a tape measure. They saw off your, that amount of leg from you and now you're five nine. If let's say you were 4'11", well, they had to stretch you, so they put like one of these cranks on the bed, they put, you know, ropes on you, and, and they basically kept cranking you and cranking you and cranking you until you were like flat Stanley, you know, you, got, you just kept on stretching and stretching and stretching until you were now 5'9", and this is the bed of Sadaim, and so when Eliezer came to Sadaim, they said, okay, Eliezer, do me a favor, lie down on the bed, we want to have you fitted. For You want to live here? This is what you got to do. He says, I would. I really want to. He says, but from the day that my mother died, I was macabre on myself a nedjah that I never sleep in a bed. I never go in a bed. I made a nedjah. I'm sorry. I can't do it. So that was the second thing. By the way, just parenthetically about that part of the Gemara, Rav used to say that there are a lot of yeshivas in the world that have a one of these proverbial sadaim beds, meaning that everybody's got to look the same, everybody has to have the same exact uniform, the same hat, the same shirt, the same jacket, the same hat, the same talis bag, they have to go to the same yeshiva, the same camp, the same hashkafah, the same hadrocha, the same musa, the same this, the same everything is the same, the same, the same. He says, I don't want my yeshiva to be there. He says, I want individuals in my yeshiva. I don't want to make this cookie cutter like we spoke about before. Every person is the same. No two people are alike. Some people should wear hats. Some people maybe should not wear hats. Some people should wear colored shirts. Some people, and th- I'm just, this is not Ravinder talking. This is me ad-libbing. But every person is different. Every person is different. Some people are, are, you know, should be, you know, they're musical. Let them play a musical instrument. Some people are poetic. Let them write poetry. Some people are into Bikiyas. Let them do Bikiyas. Ian, Ian. I want everybody, I want people to look. I don't want this to in in my yeshiva. I want people to be who they are, the best that they could be. That's the second story. The third story that the Gemara brings is as follows. Eliezer comes in Saddam, He's very hungry, but they won't sell him any bread or any pizza because he's a stranger. You have to have a card. You have to be a card-carrying member of Sedeim to get any food in the city. And if you go to a chasna uninvited, whoever told you that you could come to that chasna, if you're a stranger, they lose their coat. They have to forfeit their coat If they find out, if somebody snitches on you, that you're the guy that said, hey, come with me to the chasna, there's a nice chasna taking place tonight, you lose your jacket. Okay. So Eliezer knew that there was a chasna taking place that night in Saddam and he was starving. He smelled good food. So he comes into the hall and he knew this rule. So there was like a long dais and he was sitting at the first table on the dais. And they ask him, the person sitting next to him said, hey, I don't recognize you. Are you a, a local here? He says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm from out of town. Well, who invited you to come to the wedding? He says, well, you did. And the guy got so scared that he was going to have to lose his coat, he ran out. He left, he packed that. he didn't want anyone to hop his coat. And then Eliezer like, slides over a little further on the, on the bench, and the next guy says, hey... You don't look familiar. Who invited you here? You did. And that guy started uh, got all nervous. He took his coat. He ran. And Eliezer did this with every single person on the road. There was no chasna left. He was the only guy left dancing for the chasna and kala. And he got to eat, the Gemara says, the entire feast. He got to eat. Because he did this shtick constantly until everybody fled in fear that they would be as being the person inviting Eliezer to the chasla. What do you see from this third story about Eliezer's personality? Eliezer was in very capitalistic, very opportunistic in a positive way, and he didn't want to just have one plate, he wanted everybody's plate. That's where Eliezer was. Very, very opportunistic, he saw opportunity, he wanted more and more and more. He wasn't mstappic with just one, he wanted to hop as much as he could. That was his nature. What are you going to do about it? That was his nature. Avram Avinu knew Eliezer better than anyone. he was promising his army a lot of money, a lot of booty, in addition to his when all the army, as the the ba- and Ba'atai says, they all fled, Eliezer was the last man standing. Abraham Abinu did not want him to flee. Abraham Abinu wanted him to go on this mission with him. He needed to motivate him. He needed to incentivize Eliezer, come with me, don't back out on me. Come, let's get light together. And if you do, says Abraham Abinu, I will give you everybody's char. All the Zob of 318 people, that whole amount of great wealth that I promised all the 318 utility debates, but they left. They they forfeited it. You will get it. And when we fight the battle and we have all this booty from Sodium and and crazy amounts of millions and billions of dollars, you're going to get everybody, all the 318 people, they left. You're going to get all of their share. Eliezer liked this. This pleased Eliezer. To be able to chop so much, and he came along with Avraham Avinu, Shairik and bezav. I think that's why perhaps the, the Pussik speaks about Eliezer in a gematria. It was a mathematical calculation, pure and simple, for Eliezer. Eliezer made the calculation in his mind three hundred eighteen times a million. That's three hundred eighteen. That's like almost like the, the Powerball. It's amazing, $318 million, plus all the money from the booty, from the loot that we take afterwards. He's going to be a wealthy man, that's good. I like that. Avraham Avinu motivated Eliezer with what appealed to him. At the end of this war, by the way, Melchizedek says to Avraham Avinu, Take everything. Just give me the lives that you brought back, and the chushkaf lof. You keep all the money—millions, billions of dollars—that that the spoils of war. Avram Avinu says no. In Now I'm not taking a string or a, or a shoe strap, because I'll say that's what. In the chush, we have the mitzvah of sitzis, and we have the mitzvah of Avram tfil- says, "I don't want anyone to say that you got wealthy because." Of Melach I don't want anyone to ever say that. But Biladai, Oday, Rak Asher The lads that were with me, meaning Eliezer, who fought this war, him I can't be from on his kashmir. Chavetz Chaim says, you see from here, by the way, that you can have your own from kites, but don't be machmer on other people. Meaning, you wanna, you wanna be machmer, you wanna have chal yourself, fine, do it yourself, but don't be machmer for the world. You have a chumra. Chumras are good, but don't 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 impose your chumras on other people. Avraham could have said, Eliezer, you you're also not getting anything from Saddam. No, I have to, I'm, I have my own frumkeit. I have my my chumra. I don't want anyone saying that I made Avraham Anyone saying that you made Avraham wealthy, but Eliezer, he deserves what he gets. I promised him that he would get the spoils of war. And I want you to give him all the spoils, all the three hundred eighteen people spoils and war. He gets everything. He gets everything. Hayrik and Sometimes motivation is with Schar. Sometimes it's with Zov. But you have to know who you are, what incentivizes you, and use it. And it's totally, some people have one way and some people have the other. You have to know what people need. Some people, you know, there's a story about a grandfather who had a grandson who was turning bar mitzvah and he says, Yasula, your bar mitzvah's coming up soon. I want to get you a present. He says, what do you want? I'll either give you, you can pick a shahs, I'll give you a nice beautiful chasen shas for your bar mitzvah or I'll give you a nice watch. You know, it's harika and bataira. Uh, which one do you want? Do you want a Shas or do you want a watch? So the boy said, Zede, give me an iPhone. It has both. But that's the way it is. Some people are motivated by a Shas, some people are motivated by a watch, some people are motivated by an iPhone. You have to figure out what the per- person needs What's good for the person, and then that will be the incentive. So many times, guys come to me in the morning, really? I can't wake up for chakras. For what should I do? So, some, so, some of them have to okay, make a Seder with a Chabrusa and learn, and whatever you, you tell them how Chashab Tzilabit Zibar is. But rarely does that work. Sometimes you have to say, listen, if you come to Minyan, I'll give you something. Or the other way. If you don't come to Minyan, I'm going to give you a knas. You owe me ten bucks a day that you miss Minyan. That, more often than not, works. Money talks. And that's not a bad thing. You have to be able to use whatever tools you have in your toolbox to motivate either yourself or your children or your talmidim. That's all part of Chamecham and Ayah Pidarka. Abraham Avinu understood... That what Eliezer needed was to be motivated not just by Schosater, but needed Manskar He wanted to grab as much as he could, and he promised him the 318 portions of gold. And Eliezer said, I'm in. This is not, by the way, taking away anything from Eliezer. If you think that I'm in any way sliding the covet of Eliezer, I'm not. Eliezer was motivated by things, and we are also. And what you learn from this is how important it is. Don't think that if I do it, it's Taira Shleil I, If I'm only learning for the gift card or for, because I'll, I'll get a trip, if I go here, I'll go. That's, that's not what I want. That's Taira It's not true. Chinuch is Chinuch. Chinuch is whatever gets you through. Whatever enables you to move further down the road of Taira, of Mitzvahs. Do it. Use it. HaKadosh Baruch who wants you to use it. It could be a by But Taira a and bizarre, whatever it is, use it. That's what it's there for. Eliezer wanted everything. He wanted all of the meals in Sadaim. He wanted all of the 318 portions of money that was going to come to the victor. And he got it. And as a result, he became the great Avraham. Abram and he won the war. He got Light Home. He was the person who went to Haram with Avraham Avinu. He was the person who was the shatran for Yitzchak. Eliezer was great. But Abram Avinu understood that he had to train him in order to make him realize what's really important in life the main schar. First, he had to incentivize him with what he wanted. If you don't need Zav, by the way, there are so many things in the Taira that I could show you. If you're like greedy in a, a Taira way, if you want Schav, you don't want gold as much as you want the Taira, I'll teach you today a few tricks to motivate yourself in that department. There's an amazing Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi is all the way at the end of the Masechus Brachas, and it says as follows. Let's say you're living in a place, or you're in a yeshiva, and nobody's learning. Let's say night sader is very shvach. Or let's say Sunday is very shvach a day, in the yeshiva, there's like no one in the base Medrash. So the Gemara says, Amay this Chazekba. Don't just go with the flow and say, "Hey, okay, no one's in the base medrash, so I don't, I don't have to be here either." It's uh, this is this is extra credit. I'm not into extra credit. chazikba, <laughs> strengthen yourself. Sit in the base medrash and learn. Ben Whenever you see the base medrash emptying, like, oh gosh, this is depressing. No, no, no. Go into the base medrash. Open up a sefer. Sit and learn. Vatam mekabel schar kulam. If there was a packed based Medrash, do you realize how much schar there would be going on in the base Medrash? If the base Medrash is empty, you get the schar for all the empty chairs in the base Medrash. If you're opportunistic, if you are a capitalist, you would only be in the base Medrash on Fridays and, and, and Matzai Shabbos and, uh, and Cholamite because you'd be hopping so much schar. Like Eliezer wanted the 318 schar, he wanted to be Neitel Schar Kulam. Avraham Avinu taught him that we have to teach ourselves. You want to be neitel Come to a base medish when it's shvach. You'll be neitel I'll never forget when I was learning the Proches in Yeshivas Koltai. Yeshivas Koltai is in Eretz Yisrael, and Yerushalayim or from Yeshiva, packed, huge base medish, maybe twice, three times the size of this base medish, packed with mitzuyanim and. We learned, I was learning with the Chavrusah late at night, Prophet, Bikius, and we came to a Gemara that says as follows, that you should always be from the first ten people in, by, by davening in the minion, make the minion, as they say. And if you make the minion, as many people come after the minion is made, but we don't need them because they're just extra bodies. The main minion is from the ten, the Asar Rishayim. You are not schar kulam. You will be nightel schar k'neged kulam. Amazing. We said to ourselves, wait a minute. If we get here early enough in the morning, that means that we'll be able to get schar equal to the hundreds of Khashuvim that come in Davinir. And we made up our minds we we're going to come bright and early to Davinir every morning. To be nightel schar kulam. you know what that means? It means that like the odometer is like spinning out of control at one point. There's a, a Sefer chasidim just similar to this um, this Yerushalmi, that says that if you see certain Gemaras that are not being learned, and they're sort of like a Mace Mitzvah, he says, like they're, he says, like Kachim. Now people learn Kachim, Dafyayim is learning Kachim, that's the Milo of Dafyayim, by the way, that all the Masechis that hardly were ever touched are now being learned every seven years by many, many thousands of people. It never used to be that way. People used to learn about and, and and Megillah and Tainis and Brachas. Certain go to Mesappes, and everything else was just collecting dust. But the Savior Hasidim says if you see something that's not being learned, he says my cotton. I don't know why, but my cotton was apparently people were afraid of my cotton. Maybe because it had to do with death, and people didn't like you know Avilos, and it's a you know Hebejib type of thing. They're afraid of you know, and there are stories about that. I once asked Nizam, by the way, in yeshiva, whether or not it was okay to learn Maid Katan, because the Chassam Sefer supposedly, when he was learning Maid Katan, uh, I think his wife was Miftaris, and uh, there, there, are, there is a certain thing about Maid Katan. He, he smiled, and he said, no, it's fine, just learn. But, um, but he says, if you go and learn Maid Khatan when everybody else abandoned it, if you go and learn Seder Kutchim when everybody else abandoned it, your Noito Skar the lesson of the of the, the, the kabo Kulam. He says, Ki mitzvah how mitzvah It's like a mace mitzvah. Mayz mitzvah is a guy that, that drops dead on the street in the middle of nowhere and, and and nobody's there to bury him, to take care of him, and you go, it's your mitzvah to take care of it and, 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 and make sure that it's properly buried and you get tremendous kharah for a mace mitzvah. If you're going, uh, you know, there are gemeris about going to Shekhtakar the Pesach, a um, mace by mace, and you have to go and bury a, bury a dead body, it's a tremendous chus. He says there are, there are mace mitzvah gemaras that nobody's touching, nobody's learning. You go and learn it, you revive that gemara, and you make it popular, you're naitel di kaboschar No one in the world is learning, let's say, Tyrus. Or zeraim, and you start making a seder in Taras and Ram. You're Eliezer. You're nital You're nital three hundred eighteen chalakim of Tyra, but it's not three hundred eighteen. It's three three hundred eighteen million chalakim of Tyra. You don't understand how capitalistic you could be in learning in the base madras. I'll give you another great example if you want to be greedy in Tyra you want to chaperayim, as much schar as you can, if that gets you going, and it should. Rebellion Lafayam brings in a sefer that he heard from the Chavitz Chaim, the following Cheshpen. We know that Talmud Torah is Kineg Kulam. What does that mean? It means that the mitzvah of Talmud Torah is very chashuv. It's more chashuv than all 613 mitzvahs combined. Now, how do you define the mitzvah of Tamatira? How, do how does that get calculated? When the Rabbi Hashalim is keeping score of, of us getting a mitzvah of Talmotairah, how does that work? Is it by the letter? Is it by the word? Is it by the hour? Is it by the minute? Is it by the mesechta? Is it by the dach? How does that the nishvarkal calculate? What's making the odometer of the sechar of spin? Zok Chayim, the shame the grah. There's a ground on the Pirusha Mishnayis that says that Tamatira, the mitzvah of Talmud Torah is per word, which means if you're sitting and learning for a minute, and you and the Chavetz Chaim makes a cheshbon elsewhere about how many words you can you could say a minute, but he says let's say I don't know you could let's say you could say for fragments, sake, 60, 60 words in a minute, you get sixty Chalokim of the turbocharged mitzvah of Tamatira, and every word of Torah that you're learning. For that minute, all 60 words, each of them are how many mitzvahs? How many 613 mitzvahs times 60. I don't have a calculator here, but it's a lot. It's a lot, right? Now, let's say you're learning Kaira on Shabbos. Now, Shabbos is also one of those rare mitzvahs that are Shkula, Kineget, Kulam. Whatever you do on Shabbos is Shako, Kineget, 613 mitzvahs. So this is the Chavetz Chaim Cheshven. If a person learns every, on Shabbos, Taira, during the week I get per word 613 mitzvahs. On Shabbos I get 613 times 613. Because every mitzvah on Shabbos is Shkul Kulam. So I don't know the math, but what's 600 times 600 is like 360,000? Something like that? Roughly, let's say 400,000 400, mitzvahs per word on Shabbos. Per word. Not per hour, per word. You will learn an hour, uh, um, an hour a minute, 60 times 400,000. I don't know, millions, okay? You learn an hour on Shabbos, it's that times 60. The math gets gets crazy at one point. But you can literally, if you're a masmid on Shabbos, you're literally getting a billion mitzvahs, maybe? A billion mitzvahs. Nitzrius. Now, we are, you know, we go back to our room after the meal and we, you know, we read a newspaper, a magazine, we go to sleep, we schmooze. It's really a, a ludicrous thing to do. I mean, we all do it. I'm not saying that I'm better than that, but. If we would be able to be understanding of what's going on, we would, we would just basically just do nothing on Shabbos other than stay up all night and learn. I remember Ramaisha Chorska, Shaminkam Dhamma from Teres Misha that was killed in Har in that terrible tragedy. He never slept on Shabbos. It was known. He never slept. He stayed up the whole, probably never slept during the week either. But he never went into his bed on Shabbos. The entire night, he said, I, "I can't." He says not because of this cheshbon per se, but he says, "How could I sleep on Shabbos? Every minute of Shabbos is so chashuv. How do I? How would I? Why would I want to sleep on Shabbos? Sleep on Shabbos is like an oxymoron. Sleep on Shabbos. Now, obviously, there isn't any of shina b'Shabbos. Einig, Einig, Shabbos is important. You should sleep, and it's good for you. But if you're Eliezer, Harika, and you want to incentivize yourself." There's no greater incentive than this of its time. If you're a thinking man, use whatever motivation you need to really turbocharge, incentivize yourself. Coming to davenim, you'll get the sechar kulam. You learn when no one else is learning. Don't get depressed. Chaperayin, understand that, you know, you're, you're, you're picking up diamonds in a, in a diamond mine. Nobody knows about it. You're cropping mitzvahs that, that, that are indescribably valuable. And if you need money, so figure out a money incentive for yourself. Whatever it takes to get you through and to be matzliach in learning, do it. Whatever you need to be able to get you to davening in the morning, use it. To do chesed, whatever it is, if it's altruistic reasons, great, you're amazing. And if it's money reasons, that's also great, but use it. There's nothing wrong with being harikam b'zab or harikam b'tayur, whatever it is, chanei know yourself and use it. Know your children and use it. I just want to leave you off with a bar from a Azalman that I heard from him in Sheer once. And the pasuk says, kesef, kesef. In If you love Kesach, simply put, if you love money, you never have enough money. And we see that. We see that, you know, everybody's like buying the Powerball and, and uh, you don't have to buy it, I bought it, I'm, I'm going to win anyway. But it's $970 million. And everybody's thinking, what would I do with that money if I, if I got it? And you know, there are people in the world that actually have $970 million, times many-fold. And you wonder, like, what are they doing with their money? What, what are they needed for? There's a guy that died this week, a partner of Bill Gates from Microsoft, Paul Allen. He died with $26 billion. He owned the Portland Trailblazers, and he owned the, uh, the uh, Seattle Seahawks, and he owned, uh, you know, a crazy amount of, of Nechassimiyat. Crazy. He died, he has no Yarshan. He, he, he never got married, never had children, I was just reading an article, they don't know exactly what's going to be, he invested in a lot of technology that needed him, he was their sugar daddy, he was like, you know, in space travel and, and other scientific endeavors, he was it, and they don't know exactly if, they're, if the foundation that was set up is going to continue this or not continue it, a lot of people are, 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 are in limbo about what's going to be with certain major projects in the world of technology today. But twenty-six billion dollars a lot of money. Why didn't he stop at, you know, you could probably live comfortably with a couple of million dollars. He needed twenty-six billion dollars. But the puzzle says in Kaihalas, I have Casilis, but guys, we don't understand this. But if a person is really loves money, he never gets enough. And there was never, you know, what's his name? Um, Jeff Bezos is not going to say, you know what? I made 150 billion dollars. Atam like it's fine, it's enough. You know, it's uh, uh, I'm just going to hang on my head, I'm going to retire. You know, sell my stock and uh, It's not going to happen. He wants more and more and more. He wants to be a trillionaire, and he probably will be. So Shlomo Malk says, You love money. You never have enough. It's, you have an insatiable appetite for money, greed. Greed is good. Greed gets you. It, 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 just, uh, it just feeds on itself. You just want more and more and more. They don't want to stop. So you look in Rashi, and you see, you think Rashi's going to bring down Jeff Bezos. And Rashi says, Aye mitzvot, lo yispa If you love mitzvahs, you never get enough of mitzvahs. Now, that's a very firm Rashi. And is again, taking the Mikra Midei right. Let's, let's call spade a spade. Kesef means money. Call it, you know, say that people don't love money, never have enough money. What do you have to get what do you have to from money? If you love mitzvahs, you're not going to get enough mitzvahs. Honey. of Yoshon Zaman Rashi wasn't twisting the chat in the pasif. The word kesef, although we use it to mean money, really means kisuf. What does kisuf mean? Kisuf means something that I pine for. Ka echseif. Noyam Shabbos. Echsof means I, I I pine for it. I des- I crave it. Kisuf means a craving, uh, something that I just desire so much. That's kisuf. That's like gaguim. It's like you have like the, your, your, your neshama is like breaking out of your body for something. That's what kisuf means. He says people unfortunately use their kisufim. This that Hakadosh Baruch gave them this desire to be capitalistic, to be greedy, to be to be pining for more and more and more. They use it for money. It's easy. Kesef. you don't have to, you know, it's keshmak, you get right away a lot of bang for your buck. Millionaire, billionaire, it's keshmak. So I use those kisufim, these people that are billionaires that are so motivated, they're using that that HaKadosh gave them, that kisuf, they're using it for kesef. But the pshutish mikro, what HaKadosh really wanted from that drive that he gives us, that Greed, that insatiable appetite for more and more and more wasn't for Keset. It was for the Kisuf of mitzvahs. People that love mitzvahs, they never get enough mitzvahs. They live to do mitzvahs more and more and more. They want to learn Torah, and they want to learn Torah when no one's learning Torah, so they could cop that. They want to learn Torah on Shabbos because then they'll be billionaires in mitzvahs. There are people that crave mitzvahs. There are people that I don't care about mitzvahs. It doesn't interest me. There are people that have, I, I like money. But the main kisuf that we have, the main desire that we have, should be driven for mitzvahs and for taira. That's what he says in the Pshan and the Pashat. It's the Pshut HaMikra. You love kisufim. You love what you're really supposed to be craving, mitzvahs. You'll never have enough. You'll just want to do more and more. You start off the right way, you start off this man coming to davening, you want to come to davening every day, hopefully. You come first seder, second seder, night seder, you're learning, shtayging, after night seder, Sundays, Fridays, you're not going to have enough because you want more and more, you want to hop this. There was a, a Kayin in Belgium who always had a kisuf. he always had a desire to have the mitzvah of Kvuras hames. He wanted to bury dead people, but he never had that opportunity because he's a Kayim, can't go into a cemetery. And he was always craving this. He had this kisuf to, to be Isaac in this particular mitzvah that he was always deprived of. So what do you do? Until one day, he heard in Shul that the old cemetery was full, And the shul just bought a brand new chalukah, a brand new plot of land in a new cemetery, like a new field, open field. He said, wow. And then he heard that Sunday that somebody died and the kuru was going to be at 11 o'clock in the morning. You know what he did? Took a shovel. He went to the cemetery before anyone else. And he dug up that grave where the mace was supposed to be buried. There's no problem for Kayin. The cemetery was still a, an open field, a regular field, no mason in there. Why did he do that? Because he had a kisuf. He desired mitzvahs. He didn't have enough mitzvahs. We were like, okay, I'll you know, just uh, I'll learn a little more, I'll a little more, i have to schlep out this. There are people that have cravings, not for money. For money, people travel the world to make money. I was once by Shim Shimon Schwab, by Minfa in his house on Shabbos. And he asked somebody, he had made a small minion in the house, he wasn't well. And he asked somebody, Where's your father? I haven't seen your father. Is he around? Is he okay? He says, Yeah, he's, he, he's already like an old man, this guy's father. So he traveled to the Far East. He's in China on business. He's like in his 70s. He's traveling to China on business. So Schwab was like, Nispa, he says, B'nasau yavi lachmo. He says, with his nefesh, a person gives his nefesh to bring home bread. For Parnassi, you go to the end of the world. How about for mitzvahs? Do we go anywhere for mitzvahs? If it's, a, if it's convenient for me, I'll do it. Do we go out of our way to do it? Because hmm. we don't have the kisuf yet for mitzvahs. We're into kesef, but the wrong type of kesef, not the kisufin of mitzvahs, of ayah mitzvahs layisba mitzvahs. Money is fine to incentivize us to do mitzvahs. But don't allow the incentive alone to be keseh. It always has to be for a greater good. If we are successful in business and we have a lot for money, that's okay. But channel it towards tzedakah. Channel it towards being the finest of your family. Ch- channel it towards building for Tyra and for, for Ruchnius. And then it cashes everything. This is the lesson I think that we learn. From this week's parash of Avraham the greatest chinof, is incentivizing ourselves and others, in whichever way possible, to maximize our productivity in Tira and Mitzvahs. Yes, Hashem, we should use these words and charge our life, understand that life is limited. We have a set number of days, a set number of hours, a set number of minutes, a set number of words, and let's chaperayin every single moment that we have, lasud all that we could have possibly attained in this life that HaKadosh has given us. Have a good time.